0: Welcome to 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of design and engineering. Today we hear from the Blue Room's Colin Warhurst about his time at this year's CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, which took place earlier in the month in Las Vegas. The Blue Room goes along each year, so we don't have to, and we get to them just before the jet lag has worn off. So Colin, I understand why you were
1: there. Google took you for a ride. Google literally and metaphorically took us for a ride so uh, my colleague from the Blue Room Richard Robbins and I were at CES 2019 and just outside of the main convention center Google had constructed what can best be described as half theme park half shopping mall and the top half of this building was literally a a ride a roller coaster in that kind of Disney-esque sort of experience called Google Assistant The Ride all about having uh, an adventure with the family full of fun and of course a Google Assistant it was a campaign designed to win hearts and minds and Richard described it as peak CES oh. we might as well just go home because it's it's what. I I used to phrase it, broke the fourth wall. You go to these events, and yeah, it's business events, and it's consumer tech, and you, you expect to be talked to by sales reps and have CTOs wheeled out to you to talk and do presentations on the stage. And Google just came out with, no, nah, no, it's all about having fun, isn't it? Of course we're going to sell you a thing. Here's the thing, but we're going to make a laugh and a joke and a literal song about it. Um, and now that genie can't be put back in the box. It's just completely blew it all wide open.
0: And what they were selling you was a world in which you are held in the loving embrace of Google, the assistant is there to serve you every need, and not only do you not mind, you'd miss it if it wasn't there.
1: Absolutely, the word the word love was banded about quite a lot. The Beatles song, All You Need Is Love was played on the loop repeatedly. So what, what should have felt like really over-the-top intrusive advertising, because it was so tongue-in-cheek, because it was so knowing and done with a wink and a nod, at something like CES, which can be corporate and dry, you kind of just went along with it, and it was fantastic. And then once you'd done that, you couldn't really look at any of the tech at the event without that kind of fun Google filter o- over yourself. So when you saw Google Assistant built into so many other devices, it, it kind of did a magic trick on you. You were like, yeah, they're the, f- they're the fun ones, right? They're- yeah, I don't mind Google being built to this. It's going to be really useful. And then you start to look at how many Google products you use in your real life, and I've just signed up to a new one over here and over there. And Actually, it's all okay, isn't it, really? Which then really, really contrasts when we put our BBC hats on, and we go, "Oh, what we're we going to do about data and data privacy, and data portability, and data ethics, and that sort of stuff?" When I've just signed up my, the faces of myself, my friends, and my family to the to the Google Fun Assistant, and it's not to say it isn't
0: fun, or indeed that it isn't useful, but but as you say, there are these other issues, and and. In your report, you describe two themes of, of control and
1: vision. Yes, so we, we go to these events uh, to look at what the new technologies are. So we, we kind of we call them trends and, you know, that'll be things like 8K, 5G, robots, wh- whatever the new thing is. But then it's usually one or more undercurrents that sort of sit under the event. And because of this Google ride sort of stealing the headlines and sort of framing the entire convention um, before you sort of go in, when you then see the Google Assistant built to so many things and from the BBC's perspective, so many televisions, that's why we sort of called it Control because for a few years now, we we, we all know, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's not just technical people at the BBC, I think members of the public are aware we now live in the world where you turn on a device and you have pots of content. You have, a, you have an iPlayer app here, you have an ITV app over there, you've got an Amazon or a Netflix app there. And being able to search across them is still really tricky. There's only a handful of services or boxes that will let you say, here's an episode of Sherlock, and it's available from these three people. Um, because every, every box, every screen has its own operating system, its own GUI, its own menu, joining all those up seems like it's going to be really tricky. But what's sort of happening over the years is that Google are coming along and actually being the people to do that. Because the TV manufacturers are f- slowly, one by one, throwing their hats out and saying you know what, we tried making our own interface, we can't do it we'll just install Android, we'll just let Android do it and of course Android means Google so eventually when the Google Assistant comes along then voice is then built into that TV so now you're going to find a world full of boxes and TVs with Android slash Google built into it and then voice search becomes really interesting because as we've already seen in the music industry people are just used to saying give me the programme, give me the artist so this whole idea or holding on to this sort of romantic notion that we want to drive people to a channel, something you used to see in the Electronic Programme Guide or in the Radio Times, we've got to just kind of get used to the idea that that's going to go and actually even being worried about the idea of disaggregating content. You know, if you send someone straight to Sherlock, well, they know it's made by the BBC and stuff. Well, Netflix are kind of doing that. They're having the cake and eating it. They they, they allow this deep link into specific assets, but they still end up dragging you into their app and then once you're in there, they still do quite a good job of keeping you in their app. So I don't think it's an either-or situation that we've got to keep everyone within our black box versus open everything up completely. I think there has to be a middle ground. The danger of not opening up to what might become Google's 90% dominance of the TV search layer is that, well, if you keep all your stuff in your little black box, the voice assistant will just skip you and say, oh, well, if I can't take Sherlock out of your part of content because I don't know if it's there or not... Here's four of a pots I can point out. I
0: remember, probably 15, 20 years ago now, Microsoft trying to get Windows CE as the default operating system for set-top boxes and failing horribly. And it occurs to me that you've nailed it there, which is that what's made the difference is that instead of having, instead of starting from the ground up with the operating system capabilities, Google started from the top down with it's friendly, it's easy, it does search, it integrates things, and that made it more useful to the television companies who then have to take the stack in order to get the features they want. So so Google have played it,
1: the strategy very differently. Google's homepage is is a simple white page with, with, with a search box on it. Um, it's, it's what they do. They, they do search and simplicity. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. They, they're trying to bring that to the world of the television. TVs are computers now. When you go to the store or online to buy a computer, it's going to be Windows, it's going to be OSX, Apple, or if you're really clever, it'll be a Linux type thing. So we're in a world now where there's any kind of free types of computer out there, and we're all okay with that. That's not the world of TV, but I think it might be going that way because TV companies are realising they're not very good at making computers, so we'll get someone who is to do that for us.
0: And when you talk about control, you're talking about us controlling the devices. Of course, there's the other
1: element about being
0: controlled by the devices or by what's going on.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So so the sort of theme word control, it, you're right, it, cover, it covers all those different aspects. It's, it's about you as the user wanting control of your device. And now you can use your television to control things in your house, smart devices, appliances, Internet of Things. Um, but then also, yeah, you can start to channel search results or drive people towards certain parts of content than others for instance there was an lg television that has free virtual assistants built into it it has lg's own virtual assistant it has the google virtual assistant and then it has uh, amazon alexa built into it as well so on the remote control, there's one button for the LG and the Google Assistant, which does some clever contextual stuff. This is an LG question. I'll use the LG Assistant to answer it, to talk to your LG wine cooler or fridge or washing machine if you have such devices in your home. Anything else, it'll just punt over to Google. And then the Amazon Alexa button has to be pressed by a separate button. So it's presented as Unity. Hey, we've got free virtual assistants on here. Actually, it's still a win in the Google column because the LG... Virtual assistant isn't going to be useful unless you own the LG fridge and wine cooler and washing machine, and you're not going to remember to press the separate button for the Alexa stuff. So, yes, yeah, presented as we've got all three working at once, it's just letting Google in by the back door.
0: Do you think that in the future we'll see you know, integration between these assistants, or will that we have the separate silos for quite a while, with Google just becoming more and more dominant, or Google
1: Alexa, perhaps even Apple coexisting? So, I think there was talk of microsoft cortana and amazon alexa doing a sort of trade-off with cortana will be useful for businessy type stuff and your amazon alexa will be useful for home type stuff so you'll ask alexa to ask cortana what's in your business diary not really heard much of that since the announcement um and again it sort of helps them to think of it in terms of lays you've got the assistants maybe at the top of the pyramid or whatnot in terms of devices if you want a, manufacturer of a smart, Bulb or a lock or briefcase or whatever weird gadget you suddenly decide you want to make smart, you can make them compatible with both. So you're not kind of, in a good way, you're not being forced to make a decision. You get to stick a sticker on your device that says this works with either of these virtual assistants. Go crazy. And I think that's the game Google were playing recently because up until this year, certainly, there was this kind of idea out there that maybe there's more devices that are Alexa compatible going to ces this year because they've done this hearts and mind campaign and had so many assistants everywhere the impression it's not factual but the impression you could leave with is very much that oh google may have more useful things out there now because they they go hard for ces amazon are there but they do all their meetings in 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 private rooms apple don't go there but they try to take out an advert this year to set the agenda for the event on privacy didn't quite really manifest nobody was really talking about privacy at the event itself so it's kind of like come on guys don't try and troll us and not turn up just get involved if you're going to get involved um amazon might not be worried about cs at all or the press at all but i think every year it gets more and more press and it's a quick win just to throw some money at it and, and to just totally dominate with the pr blitz which which google did um so
0: sad that nobody's talking about privacy because your other thing about vision is actually to do with things you can't keep hidden, like your face.
1: Yes, yeah, so the other thing, which we, we didn't really realise how much it struck us until we sat down to start writing the report, and both Richard and I were kind of aware that, did you see that screen that was tracking our, our face? Yeah, the, and there was another one that was there, and such and such and such and such. And then when we started to talk about it, we realised that in the various parts of the trade show, that you know the, the separated section, the car section, the TV section, the internet thing section that actually instances of computer vision were in pretty much every part of the show. And the room has been looking at AI for quite a long time. Um, We're sort of, we think we have a good awareness of the the sort of uh, capabilities of this sort of stuff, especially in terms of video, because we're a media organization. It did take us by surprise just how powerful and how fast computer vision and video analytics was at the show. So, you know, you'd have very small cameras, very small looking computers, being able to scan ten twenty faces all at once and generating what what looks like randomly useless data, but of course the the point of data is you don 't know what 's going to be of use so just by strolling past a couple of exhibitor stands and pulling a few smiley faces say oh you are you, you are probably a male between this age' demographic, and you look like you 're smiling at this camera um you know on its own seems harmless but you combine that with other stuff you combine that with a camera that caught me earlier on when i wasn't looking happy next to some information next to a certain advert you quite quickly realize that actually vast amounts of data can be built up very quickly and the fact we were seeing them on so many varied devices and all shapes and sizes in so many different capabilities forced us to kind of go this is actually one of the things that maybe the, the tech press won't write about because they want to write about shiny foldable TVs and that kind of stuff, but actually, we didn't go to CES expecting to see so much computer vision on display. I remember sort of we talked last
0: year and we talked before about putting microphones in everything, and the implications of that for the sort of you know, the data that's just routinely collected. If your television doesn't just have a microphone in it listening to you, but also has a camera in it watching how many people are watching and what their responses are. Hey, it'd be brilliant if you're doing audience research, but there are one or two implications there about personal privacy.
1: Yes. So to to be fair, there were a few companies that, when they had these instances of a camera that would track your face or whatnot, some, some of the vendors were saying, ours is a non-cloud solution. It's going to be a private box type thing. So privacy was sort of mentioned, but it wasn't the headline topic. It wasn't the fact... As I say, Apple took out this huge advert outside of the convention centre saying, what happens on your phone stays on your phone, riffing off the what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas uh, catchphrase. So we went into the event thinking, oh, that loads of people are going to use in privacy as their USP. And actually, they were using it as their USP. They, they weren't really making a big enough thing about it. And of course, you set that against the, the all-powering dominance of Google, that yeah you can already imagine the future where where we have these cameras and everything it's going to be whichever company makes them easy and convenient for us as opposed to the most private for us so as a society do we care enough about data it's hard for us working here to think outside the box sometimes because we can't help it We're, we're privileged to know what data is what it does what the ramifications are of that do members of the general public know enough are they educated enough do they care enough yet um and i think there's a huge uphill struggle to to go through there so on one hand the 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 technology was really impressive it took us by surprise there were a few people with these privacy concerns but actually it was all about just look how cool it can be and look at all these different things we can do with it in so many different industries.
0: That was Colin Warhurst and there's a full write-up of CES from Colin and his colleague Richard Robbins just drop him an email and he'll send you a copy and in February there'll be a lunch and learn session in W12 in London so watch out for that. Thanks for listening to this 2 Rebooted. If you have a story for us or would like
1: to talk about your work in DE, do get in touch with me, Bill Thompson.